Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest of Welcome back, boils and ghouls, ladies and germs, all the Talking Terror fans worldwide and nationwide. It's time for another episode of that podcast your mommies and daddies want to be about, Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the King RNDG, welcoming you back to this Ghoul Geek-specific episode. He has chosen Piranha 3D from 2010, directed by Alexandre Aha, and we're going to be talking about later. I'm pretty sure I fucked that up, probably Aja, but fuck it, who cares? Uh, so we're going to be talking about that a little later on in the show, but I am joined by the Google Geek. So why don't you say hello to the audience, sir? Hello, everybody. How you been doing today? Fabulous, darling. I hope you're doing as well. Oh, very good, sir. Very good. Another wonderful day over here in the good old fucking New Jersey swampland of uh, of just excessive heat and humidity. Oh, it's been killer on the balls, I'll tell you that much. It is just uh, swamp Louisiana downtown, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it's been pretty yucky, man. Pretty fucking gross. How you doing, yeah. King? How's things over there in PA? Uh, about the same. It's been raining like a motherfucker the past couple of days, but it hasn't helped with the heat. So I'm saying, you know, the downtown area gets a little bit swampy bayou style. So it's like, damn, can't wait till I can get home and take off my fucking pants. Want to air out a little bit, you know, relax and just have a good time. I'm sure you feel the same. Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. You know, there's nothing I like more than coming home, stripping down, and just letting the uh, the, the the balls hang low. You know. Yeah, I mean, you got to. I mean, I got to let Groot and Rocket, you know, relax and get some air after a long day of being trapped. And name your balls, like Groot and Rocket. Oh yeah. Long time ago. I think it's appropriate. <laughs> Does one have a bandit mask? One's little and one's big. So there you go. Man, uh-huh. <laughs> we're, <also laughs> but we're also joined by the demonic doctor himself. Dave, welcome back to the show, sir. Oh, thank you so much for your kind welcoming. I'm so happy to be here. Glad to have you back. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing wonderful. I'm a little tired, but unlike uh, the weather in New Jersey, I'm here in beautiful, sunny, blue sky, California. Uh, so it's not as hot in California, despite the wildfires. Uh, well, those are taking place not not uh, you know not in the area of which I am. The ones last year were a little closer, so it's really not something that's had much of an effect over here. Oh, that's good. You know, I think they're still burning, which is not good. So I'm hoping we get those things out soon enough. Destroying California over there is wildfires. Yeah, I mean, Indeed. like a lot of the states, like burning right now. It's uh, you know, it's a shame. There's been just a ton of devastation. A lot of places are uh, having even more flames poured on them from some of the areas that were affected last year. Um, you know, it's 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 
really some terrible stuff. So hopefully they get it under control soon. Um, you know, but they're still out there. They're still roaring. And uh, while the news coverage has died down uh, nationally, I'm sure, uh, it's not a situation that is, um, you know, under control by any stretch. No, it seems like that's the way the news always works. You know, it's a hot story for a little while, but then after a while they kind of get bored and move on, even though the things are still going on. But, yeah, we got to find another topic to talk about other than wildfires in California, which is unfortunate. I still think it needs to be talked about. People still need help. That they do. That they do. (laughs) (laughs) Glad everybody had something to add at the end of that. (laughs) Glad I had a good talking point for a while. Uh, So as we kick off the show, as always, we do a little bit of horror news, horror discussions. Uh, Dave, uh, I wanted to kick it off with the ghoul first to see if he had anything, and I'll kick it to you. Who, me? Um, I mean, not really, not at the present. I mean, I did, uh, you know, after all of our discussion regarding it last week um, mm. and me completely poo-pooing on the film, <laughs> of course, what did I end up watching? I ended up fucking buying and watching uh, the new Puppet Master film. And uh, I've heard, I have to say, man, I've heard nothing. I saw... I've heard nothing but but positives, and I'm really looking Good forward stuff. to seeing it and everything. But I saw a list, and again, I'm not familiar with all 13 Puppet Masters by any stretch, but I saw a list today claiming that it's like the second best Puppet Master of all time. That's what I heard, too. So have you watched the How many puppet, Wait a minute. How many Puppet Masters are there? 13. I believe this one is number 13. Christ. Um, yes, yes, I did watch it. Yeah, I, I was under the impression like we were only at like number six, and you know now that you're saying oh, thirteen, no. I kind of no. remember that coming up in the conversation last week. We too. are well past number um, six. <laughs> I did did watch it. Um, obviously, I'm not going to divulge any kind of spoilers or anything. Mm-hmm. It. I don't want to say it's uh, to say it's a slow burn. Is obviously kind of misleading, but let's just say it takes its time to get to the killing. But when the killing starts, it's pretty much like you fucking got to the, the to the peak of the roller coaster and you're just fucking like just flying down completely out of control without any kind of fucking breaks going on whatsoever. I mean, you know, some of the fucking kills were just outlandish and hysterical. Um, I, I, I had a really good time. Uh, you know, the, the, the eight-year-old decided that she had uh, wanted to watch it. And, you know, I was like, oh, well, this may not be good for you. And she's like, well, what? It's just going to be puppets killing things. And, you know, after a couple of uh, after a couple of kills, she decided that this was not a movie for her to watch because it was (laughs) way too bloody and just way too violent. And she just couldn't deal with it anymore. So she laid with her back to the television for the rest of the the rest (laughs) of the movie. (laughs) Good move on her part. Yeah, I might be a little bit too extreme. But it's interesting you do bring that up because it was announced, I think, earlier today that they are actually making another Puppet Master that's not following yes. The Littlest Reich. It's going to be an independent movie of The Littlest Reich. Fuck you. So, no way, man. The Littlest Reich ends with To Be Continued. They need to be making yeah. the next fucking movie. The next one, supposedly, is going to be independent of The Littlest Reich. So I'm sure they'll go oh, back and do another Littlest Reich film. But I think they want to do another Suckers. one independent. So, I mean, never say never. 
I mean, these movies, like, we're up to 13 now. So, obviously, Charles Band of Full Moon Entertainment is going to keep chugging along as long as he can make Puppet Master movies. So, I don't think you have anything to worry about. I'm definitely sure there's going to be a Willis Rex 2. Well, better be, man. Glad you liked it, though. I, need, I mean, I was worried. I want to say, well, I want to see what the fuck happens next, you know? Like, it ends <laughs> on quite a, uh, I mean, I wouldn't call it a cliffhanger, but it is open to what the fuck is going on by the end of that film. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, I went to uh, the mall this past Saturday, and they were sold out. They didn't have any copies left. So, damn, there's a lot of Little Strike fans here. Didn't think it was going to be the sold out one. thought there would be at least one Blu-ray copy, but no, it was all sold out when I went. So, going to have to figure out a way to get my hands on it. I don't do any where, of that where, where was this that you tried to purchase this? I went to uh, FYE, the uh, the mall downtown from me, and they were sold and they out. Had like a, they were like, they actually had a copy of it that at one point was in stock and in a tangible form, and it was sold out, or was they just not have it? No, it was sold out. They told me they had no more copies left. They had got a very small shipment, and it was sold out. I'm shocked. I can't even fathom. <laughs> yeah. That uh, huh. this movie would have been stocked in, on a shelf in any of those big corporate stores. Uh, for, I mean, for, maybe they uh, got for, five copies in, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't think they, that they would have gotten. They were all pre-orders. <laughs> See, they're all pre-orders. They wanted to get their little keychain or whatever gift they give when you get a free uh, pre pre-order. I have no idea. I just know that it was it was it was out. But they're doing their. Uh, Films of Fear now for Halloween, so they got all their Halloween stuff out, which is kind of cool to see. But I have all the movies that they have for sale. So, like, well, nothing new here. I got all these movies. I was kind of hoping to get the littlest right, but, you know, hopefully they'll come in stock again and I can get myself a copy. Not much of a digital guy, not much of an Amazon online shopper. I would just get the copy in my hand the same day. I know aside from that, I mean, they, uh, I guess a couple more cast members have joined up on, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I guess they picked up the chick from, uh, The Green Inferno, uh, the, the, the lead yeah. actress in that, and, uh, Lena Dunham, the, uh, that homely chick Ugh. from that show, Girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I saw that. And, yeah, I think her name is, uh, Lorenza Izzo. I know that she and Eli Roth divorced recently. I think that's the only thing I've heard of her since the Green Inferno. So that I mean, they they packed the list. I forget how many other people that were in the cast. Where I'm like, oh, that guy's in this movie. Al Pacino's in this movie. So there's a lot of big names in the cast. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the story. It's supposed to be like Pulp Fiction in a lot of ways that they were saying, like individual stories being told over the course of the time in 1969. Um, so with probably with the Manson murders probably being the connective thread between them. Well, they said that the uh, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, their characters, went next door to Sharon Tate in the film. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be that connecting thread, but it's going to be told in a Pulp Fiction style. I kind of like that idea, though. I kind of like the whole individual stories, kind of like an anthology, but it all connects somehow. So I think it could be a, a good move. I like that Tarantino style. I wonder if it's going to play out, you know, the one thing that I'm kind of like everything I'm reading on it. The one thing that keeps kind of like coming into my head whenever I'm, I'm seeing anything is, is summer of Sam. 
Okay. You know, which you, in which you kind of had, you know, the, the idea is, is it's a story based in New York during the tension of that time more than it's, you know, an actual, you know, event itself. Yeah, I mean, and that was a good movie. I mean, I forget about that a lot of the times, but I remember enjoying it uh, the couple times that I watched it. Um, I didn't really need to have David Berkowitz in the movie. I kind of wish they had done it like we had talked about, I think, last week, when we had said that, you know, use news footage. Use actual footage of David Berkowitz rather than having a cast member play that character. I think it would have worked better rather than having an actual person cast as David Berkowitz and seeing what he was doing. I'd rather him be like a specter, like a ghost. You know he's killing people, but you're not going to see him. Oh, you know. Too busy watching fucking Mira Sorvino and uh, <laughs> Java Kazamo, you know, having a fucking <laughs> orgy. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I was like, ah, I don't like John Kazamo that much. See too much <laughs> that was a very, un- <laughs> very uncomfortable scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah, among other ones, and such a kind of directed by Spike Lee of all people. Maybe to him to tell the story of Summer of Sam. You know, and actually make it a good film. Uh-huh. What do you got, Doc? What's going on in uh, in your horror world? Uh, we have several things happening. Um, first thing, uh, I thought that this was such a curious and interesting piece of news that I can't wait to see how it unfolds. So we all know through the first and second seasons of Stranger Things, there have been references and tributes to all sorts of material uh, from the 1980s. That's like part of the show's deal. We all know it and love it. Now, even though season three is going to be taking place in a summer season, as opposed to like the cold fall and winter of the first two seasons, uh... So we're going to see like kind of like a different color palette for the show and everything. Uh, you know, they're saying that season three is going to be darker and scarier. But the, the fact that I want to share that I read today was that a big inspiration for something that is going to be a part of the third season is the Chevy Chase film Fletch. Uh, that there's a lot of inspiration from Fletch and that they're really looking forward to uh, playing around, and I quote, playing around with and having some fun with it, end quote. So uh, as a huge fan of Fletch and some of those mid-80s Chevy Chase movies, which were humongously influential as I was growing up to me, uh, I just thought that that was a, a very, very interesting, fun piece of news. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm even a fan of Fletch Lakes, so I'll even give credit for that movie, the sequel. Well, not you're giving credit person. where it's not due whatsoever. <laughs> it was still a good movie. It's not as it good as not Fletch, at all. but... I don't know. I, I still had fun with it. I, you know, it, it's hard to do a sequel, but you know the, the spirit was there, and I, I really enjoyed it. It was on the other day, actually, on uh, HBO, and I watched it. You know, and the Fletch, the original one too. But um, what do you think, Ghoul? I mean, do you really think that that's a movie that kind of fits in with the whole realm of Stranger Things, playing around with Fletch? Uh, if I'm going to be perfectly honest here, I am amongst. Those people who have yet to ever see Fletch, okay. um, it's it's one of those films that is on my list, 
And every time, it seems like I guess the the longer I wait to watch it, the more I feel like I may never get around to watching it. Only because it's one of those where I kind of dread that there's all of this build up to finally seeing it. It's a movie from you know basically a time long gone. Is the comedy yeah. still going to hold up for me now? as it would had I seen it back in, like, the 80s and whatnot. All right, well, I'm going to comment on your comment about that, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to... I'm not going to put any kind of hype. I'm not going to say to you, oh, you need to see this right away. You know, you don't know what you're missing. Uh, But what I will say, because I I have revisited the first Fletch, the only one worth watching, uh, recently, I... I will say that uh, from a movie that is uh, getting close to or is just uh, – because I believe that came out in 1985, yes. uh, over 30 years old now, uh, getting close to 35 years old, uh, it is still uh, – it's, it's – you can argue that from a movie that Chevy Chase was the star, not part of an ensemble cast, uh, you can maybe make the argument that it's his best work. Uh, and it's a really oh, yeah. smart, it's a really smart written funny mystery, and I I truly believe that all of that stuff holds up. And performance wise, I don't think Chevy Chase has ever been better. Um, I'm not going to try and hype you to it because I know you don't like when people do that, but I do think it's worth checking out. Um, you know, I feel like it's a prime example of mid 1980s comedy, and also in the vein of the type of comedy. Uh, that doesn't really get made anymore, like like a more adult-centric R-rated comedy. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really smart. It's got some. It's got a great cast, and uh, you know, it, it's a really smart, written, funny mystery. And that's that's what I'll say about that. And if you do get an opportunity to see it, I would love to hear your thoughts because uh, I, I do feel if you're going to revisit or visit for the first time any movies from that era, that's is definitely one that shouldn't be overlooked. Well, again, like I said, it's on my list, and I'm almost positive it's on HBO Go or on demand or whatever it's called. So uh, maybe I shall uh, visit it sooner rather than later and just uh, finally put it to bed. You know, speaking of adult style comedies, though, um, recently on Netflix, there is a series that dropped called Insatiable. Um, it okay. features, you know, one of the Disney, you know, kids. She's grown up now, but uh, Debbie Ryan, I think she was in, like, Zack and Cody, and then she had her own show called uh, Jesse or some shit like that. I have to say, if you haven't, check the show out. It is dark and lecherous and just completely just it's it's just filled with despicable characters, but you can't turn away from what you're fucking watching them do it is a lot of fun and it's got Alyssa Milano it's got a, a whole bunch of people that you, I, you might recognize you might not and it, it's just a fun series man we watched the whole thing yeah, so you know I, it's, I, I see it now I just opened up Netflix and, uh, and, and took a look and I wanted to add it to my Netflix list so I don't forget about it uh, but I they're playing like a video trailer that I'm not listening to, but it, it, it looks like the kind of thing that, uh, if done right, uh, looks like something to me that, that might be uh, highly entertaining. And uh, based on, on what you're saying about it there, I, I will certainly take a look at it. 
But uh, to, to close out the, the Stranger Things article that you were talking about, I guess I should ask you the question, Doc, because obviously you and I have seen Fletch. Um, like you had said, the, the, the comedic elements of Fletch are so witty and, and just off the cuff. It's not, you know, slapstick humor. It's just more of Chevy Chase, you know, tongue-in-cheek uh, a lot of the times humor. Do you think that's something that well, they could bring to Stranger Things? Especially if they're making well, it dark. I don't know if I don't you know I I don't know if what they're going to be looking to incorporate uh, has to do with any of the kind because there is definitely elements of Chevy Chase's slapstick in uh, especially when he's in some of his uh, personas in Fletch uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what they're going to be bringing to it I don't know if they're going to bringing be bringing elements of like that kind of unfolding mystery, because there's always an unfolding mystery in Stranger Things. I, I'm, I've really been spending a little time thinking today about how they might be able to incorporate that. And I, you know, I really don't have an answer of how I see them doing it. I don't think when they say they want to take Fletch for a ride through the, you know, through, through Stranger Things somehow, that they're looking to turn, turn it into a comedy, uh, per se. Um, but, you know, it, it, just, it just builds my curiosity. I think it's just a... We've been like, oh, Stranger Things, and it it, it distributes the Gremlins and Firestarters, you know, uh, all all of that stuff, Poltergeist, all that stuff we love. And here is now something from also from that time period, but from a different genre. So uh, just you know, I thought it was interesting and worth bringing up, and I'm, I'm just super curious to see how they do it. I don't I don't have an idea about how they might. Do it. it could yeah, also be a slight. It could also be a slight bit of uh, of misdirection on their part, you know, Maybe. to kind of throw people off a little. And I mean, obviously, again, you can if you could sit there. I mean, if what you're telling me about Fletch is it's a solid mystery movie with a bit of comedy, then I mean, you could also take Clue and stuff like that and throw that into that mix as well, you know. And those those are all yeah. '80s style mystery slash comedy films that they could be borrowing from. So it might be more about the mystery, more about than the comedy. That's a good point. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what they do. Um, that is very interesting news, Doc. So I'm really looking forward to it now more than ever. Uh, Stranger Things season three, especially because it's supposed to go really dark. Uh, they're going to add some kind of element of fletch. So I, it seems like they're going in the right direction. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what they come up with. So what else do you have for us, Doc, to talk about? Uh, you know, as we know, uh, the next, uh, the ninth season of The Walking Dead is, you know, rapidly approaching as we're winding down summer and getting into the fall. We're getting closer to October. Uh, we have talked at length on the show about a lot of the changes that are on the horizon in the ninth season of The Walking Dead. Uh, but Lauren Cohen, uh, just put out some words about, uh, her character of Maggie and why she's leaving the show. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about that in specifics, but one of the things that she said is that she felt like uh, for her professionally that she just got part of it was that she got just kind of too comfortable with the job uh, after having struggled with some of the levels of emotion to display, especially because she always viewed her career uh, as taking the path of playing in some kind of lighter fare. Uh, but one thing that's interesting that she did put out there is that, uh, you know, they're leaving all the doors open for her to return to the character at some point in the future, and that she feels that it would be fun to explore the Mag- Maggie character 
uh, and hopes maybe at some point to get the opportunity to do that again. So, you know, my thoughts on that is maybe they're just saying that to throw us off the trail of the fact that maybe there's going to be a violent demise or, uh, you know, she's going to travel on somehow and maybe there's the opportunity or, for her to Or return, she was but... really shitty and just revealed her character doesn't get killed. You know, way to fucking <laughs> yeah. throw oh, yeah, all, the, all, the, all yeah. the tension out of that, man. Hey, look, I just see the news and report the news, buddy. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, no, true, I'm, not saying oh, God. I'm not saying We're all you, ruined I'm now. To her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I, you know, listen, the reality is I couldn't, you know, fucking care two fucks, but, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it is a bit disappointing, though, if that does end up being true. You know, I, now, is, personally, yeah. now I hope that her character meets a very violent and, you know, completely like the only way they can bring her back is to bring her back as a walker. That's true, too. And there are, uh, Spoiler videos. It, well, not I shouldn't say exact spoiler videos, but there are videos that kind of break down the season nine trailer, uh, shot by shot. And it's one of those things where you feel like they might be ruining it for themselves by showing you different shots to show you different demises of the characters. So it's like, you know, just leave it alone. Just watch it when it comes out. You know, why do you have to break down each scene and pause it and go, oh, oh, that looks like Rick. It looks like he might be a walker. It's, watch the show. You know, just you see how it unfolds. I, I hate when people try to spoil things too much. You know, even though it's something like uh, Warren Cohan saying, well, you never know. I might come back. I might not. You know, so it's, you know, I don't need to hear that. <laughs> just, you know, say, you know what? My character is going to reach an element where I'm going to exit and do different things like Mile 22, the movie that's coming out soon that she's in, and, and have a good time. Anybody ever watch The Boy, or whatever that was called, that she was in? Yeah, I saw that. It was a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's, I guess they were trying to kind of make her a starring movie, trying because of her success in The Walking Dead. It just, to me, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, if you had seen it or not, but I did, and I kind of wish I had taken mm. my hour and a half back. I have not seen it. <laughs> I have not seen it either. It, it's a rip-off of a lot of different ideas. And you can kind of see it coming at you. Twists. Yeah, it's just, it, it, if you're savvy enough and you watch enough horror movies, you can see what the twist is when they play it at the right point. You're like, all right, the movie's ruined. I'm like 45 minutes in, and I know what the twist is. I can just shut this movie is off. It, but. Is it in your top 10 doll movies? No, no. I don't even have a list for that. I probably should. Oh, no, I should probably make a... I should probably do that. Yeah, I keep trying to break these categories down. Catholic horror and supernatural horror. So I should make a doll category. I know I have a lot of Catholic horror. I mean, what are are we talking about, Pennsylvania? Well, that's Amish horror. (laughs) That's that's like Catholic horror. Oh, no, no. There was a recent... No, there was a recent sting in which they they found, like... 300-something priests were fucking connected to, like, molesting little boys and girls and anal rape, all kinds of fucking nasty shit. Yeah, in Pittsburgh. That's been making headlines in the news these days. I mean, that's all over the news. On the local news, they've been doing nothing but covering that. It happened in Pittsburgh, you know, and a lot of these priests have been outed as, you know, kid touchers. And, you know, that's what Catholic religion for. It's nothing new. It's not like, oh, my God, priests touch boys? Never heard of that. Black and yellow. 
Well, that's Pittsburgh for you. Steel City. <laughs> All right, so what else do you have for us, Doc? So we all know that, you know, the horror remakes are all the way to the top, uh, you know, all of the different stuff. And we know that the Halloween movie is from Blumhouse is coming. So uh, Jason Blum just took part in a Twitter Q&A and revealed a whole bunch of stuff regarding his plans and these versions, including the fact that he's, uh, I don't know if he's acquired, but that he is in pursuit or has pursued the rights to craft his own versions of The Crow, uh, Christine, The Serpent in the Rainbow, as well as expressing different levels of interest in getting behind the remake of I Know What You Did Last Summer, uh, working on the Scream and Alien franchises, as well as trying to take control and take on that whole uh, universal, universal uh, dark universe nonsense that was being talked about a bunch around a year ago or so. Uh, he also confirmed some things that he has been, uh, you know, maybe uh, mentioned that being around or that he has worked on that uh, his company will not uh, be working on any kind of sequels to the Belko experiment, Oculus, or uh, a remake of The Blob, which, uh, you know, Blumhouse had been linked to for a long time. Uh, but he also did say, and, and this is just getting into silliness, because, you know, uh, we've talked at length about all the nonsense that this is tied up in, is that the most interesting property to him that he wants to remake and he has tried to secure the rights to is Friday the 13th. And then he says that he has tried, quote, a bunch of times, uh, but that is the movie that, and quote again, uh, he would most love to remake in the future. Uh, so we obviously know about all the rights battles that are going on with that nonsense. But like, man, talk about like making a hugely successful career on like everyone else's ideas. You know, like I'm looking forward to the <laughs> Halloween, the Halloween flick, like anybody. But uh, oh, man. It's, it's interesting too, considering. You said that they're not making sequels to Belko or Oculus or any of the original. Okay, but those are at least the original content that they put out as opposed to them pillaging ideas from other people. Just, I mean, are we really (laughs) at the point now where we're going to be remaking films from the 90s? Yeah, we're getting there. Because it's been long enough. I mean, it's, it's what? Uh, what, Screen came out in 95, and I think, uh, I know he did last summer, came out in 96, 97. So, we're get, I mean, unfortunately, we're getting there. We're getting to that point where those are old movies now. Where they, they're open for business as far as the remakes go. I, I you know, it, it is what it is with that, but we talked about it a couple weeks ago, like the doc had said. If anybody's going to take over these franchises, I think Blumhouse should, because I think that Blumhouse knows how to put out a good product. Um, I'd rather see them put out original content. I know that Happy Death Day is getting a sequel. I don't know if that's gone into production yet, but that's one of their originals that I would love to see a sequel to. Um, I know that Jason Blum also said he wanted to do Hellraiser at one point. He wanted to take over the Hellraiser franchise and kind of reboot that as well. So I'm not opposed to it, um, especially the content that we've seen from Halloween so far. But, uh, yeah, I mean, original horror seems like it's gone more the indie circuit. You know, like A24, that production company, releasing tons mm-hmm. of original content. And Blumhouse is more of the powerhouse behind the remakes. 
You know, we, we don't have a lot of original content, but we're damn sure they're going to make a new product and it's something you love. But it just depends on if that product's going to be any good or not. Well, I mean, they do have, like, the Blumhouse tilt line. I, yeah, I don't want to say that they're not making any new content because, you know, I do know that the majority of trailers that I end up watching, you know, on, on Xbox and whatnot that, you know, are films that I look at and I'm like, yeah, I'll never watch these movies. Right. Um, tend to tend to also fall into one or two categories. They're either the A24 or they're like Blumhouse Tilt or something like yeah. that. Yep. No, that is true. Like I said, A24 puts out a lot of good content too. But, I mean, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of remakes, but if they do something that kind of enhances the original material, I'll get behind it. I'll dig it. I mean, I did like the My Buddy Valentine remake. Um, I liked Evil Dead. I thought that was a good reboot. Um, the Hills of Eyes, directed by Alexandre Aha, who directed the movie that we're going to be talking about tonight. I thought he did a great job with it. Aha. So, yeah, and it's the not Dawn a, of the Dead remake also is great. No, that's just complete shit. That's my opinion, and mine alone. I just think, you know, that definitely kind of scurried away from the original content in its own thing, which is fine, you know, that, that they did that. but I, I mean, it is fine because everybody knows that the original Dawn of the Dead maybe is the most overrated horror movie in the history of the genre. I wouldn't argue that. I definitely wouldn't argue that it's overrated in a lot of ways. I definitely think it is to a certain extent, but I feel like that remake kind of was a name-only kind of thing, where I know it's taking place in a shopping mall, but it kind of loses these, you know, that social commentary that the original had. You know, it was a lot more about running zombies in action than about four people stuck in a mall and how they get complacent being there after a while. And I feel like that whole story kind of went well, out the wayside. Well, I mean, I, obviously I know we're not talking Dawn of the Dead tonight, but you could still also argue the fact that the Dawn of the Dead remake was social commentary on today's society, whereas, you know, four people sitting in a fucking room staring at each other was social commentary on, you know, 1970-something society. <laughs> and it could be. You know, but like I said, it, 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 the Dawn of the Dead remake from 2004, I don't want to get too much into it, obviously, but it wasn't terrible. That opening segment was fantastic. Uh, it's just the rest of the movie I had a problem with. But, you know, uh, speaking well, of remakes, problem you have uh, is that it's better than the original. <laughs> well, it's not. But like I said, neither here nor there. Uh, in my opinion, anyway, I'm sure there's fans out there that love Dawn of the Dead 2004 like the doc does, and I'm sure the ghoul does too. For me, it's just, it's a miss. And I wanted to like it, because I, I liked the Night of the Living Dead remake from 1990, directed by Tom Savini. I enjoyed it. thought it was really yeah, good. Yeah, I like that one, too. I like that one, too. It's, it's fantastic. I've got to revisit that one. I haven't watched that one in a long time. If you haven't, you should. You know, but Dawn of the Dead, I had expectations for, and they, and they weren't met. I mean, I haven't watched it, uh, gosh, so long, probably since the movie came out. Maybe my opinion's changed. Maybe I just need to sit down and watch it again. But I just, for me, 1978 Stone of the Dead is a classic. But what I wanted to get to, uh, Doc and Ghoul, I don't know if you heard about this in remake news, Jacob's Ladder is getting a remake. It's coming out next February. No. The, no the idea. Tim Robbins film. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I've heard, I've heard nothing about that. Yeah, it came out uh, just a couple hours ago. Uh, via Bloody Disgusting, that Jacob's Ladder is getting a remake uh, starring Michael Ely, um, you know, who's been in a couple of TV shows recently. Uh, but it's getting a remake. 
And it's, I don't know how I feel about that because I feel like the original Jacob's Ladder is such a great psychological thriller, but you know, maybe it could be improved. I just don't know if that's something that I would want to see remade. I think it's a product of its time, and it works for the product of its time, especially with Tim Robbins being so fantastic in the film. I don't, I don't think you could just top it or do any better. Uh, Jacob's Ladder is another one of those films that I uh, often talked about, and I don't believe I've ever seen it. Well, it's another one you should add to the list. Yeah, it's, uh, oh, especially it's on the list, believe me. So. My, my list is way, well, yeah, I would think that would make sense for it to be on my list of movies I haven't seen if I haven't <laughs> seen it. Well, especially because you haven't seen it, you can watch the remake first, and then watch the original and kind of compare and contrast. That way you can go in completely blind, not knowing anything about it, you know, and kind of having that comparison. But uh, I don't know, Doc, have you seen Jacob's Ladder from the early 90s and, you know, what you thought about it? Yeah, you know, I I probably, I know that I've seen it, and uh, I probably saw, I remember the, like, the commercial for it for when it was going to air on, whether it was HBO or something like that, uh, very vividly. And I know that I watched it, but... Uh, you know, I remember the kind of commercial for it more than I remember the movie itself. Uh, it's one that I have long meant to kind of revisit, you know, on my never-ending list. Uh, but my my memory on that one is I've only saw it that one time, and my memory on it, my memory on it is truly, truly hazy on that one. <laughs> your member on it. My member on it. <laughs> but, you put your yeah, member I mean, on it. Yes. <laughs> but that's what Mine I was is, saying. Is uh, Jerry I, McConnell. I, I'm really not no sure. Um, with Jacob's Ladder, like I said, my feelings are mixed because I feel like, you know what, maybe it is a good enough movie to remake now. You know, maybe now is a time, even though I still feel like it holds up today. So uh, it's definitely a movie that I'll have to cover on the show one of these days because I feel like it's got a lot of great visuals. Uh, Elizabeth Pena is fantastic, and Tim Robbins is a lead. Uh, just hey, Elizabeth great... Pena. Yeah, yeah, she's in it. She has a great club scene where she grows a tail. It's just amazing. <laughs> but neither here nor there. Um, so, yeah, that one I'm kind of looking forward to. I'm not kind of saying, ah, that movie should be left alone. I think it's the right people, the right writing staff, the right characters. I think it could be good enough where it could be a good comparison piece. You know, you have the original, then you have this one. So, like, I know we did last summer. I probably wouldn't go see if it was remade, but probably definitely Jacob's Ladder just to see what somebody else could do with the material. Can't be any worse than Psycho mm-hmm. from 1998. Oh, so what else? that remains yeah. to be seen. <laughs> oh, that's just yeah, that was a poor taste remake. Gus Van Sant, man. But, you know, he had, he had his heart in the right place. But I don't know if he should have cast Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates and done a shot-by-shot remake. <laughs> I don't know if he should have gone that, that route. But that's a movie I remember seeing in the theaters and wanting to leave so bad. <laughs> like halfway into it, I was like, hey, I want to leave the theater so bad, but I paid the ticket price. I'm going to make it through this one. So what else do you have for us, Doc? I came across... Have you guys heard about this uh, This one called Skeletons in the Closet? No. What's that all about? Uh, apparently, so there's a, a production company called Scotchworthy Productions, and around 10 years ago, they put out... Uh, a 
some t- I have no idea how this concept worked, and maybe one of you guys have seen it, but they put out a choose-your-own-adventure film called It's My Party, and I'll die if I want to. Uh, but they... <laughs> I have no idea how the choose-your-own-adventure concept worked because I've never seen it, but uh, they have something new coming out called Skeletons in the Closet, something else that uh, takes place yet again in the 1980s, as is often the case these days, um, about an 11-year-old girl that's obsessed with this like anthology horror series on TV called Skeletons in the Closet, and uh, she's left alone to be babysat as she's watching her episode of Skeletons in the Closet and... Uh, you know, it's something about her and her babysitter having to survive the night. But, like, I watched the trailer for it, and it looks just absolutely delightful. And I don't know if I, I – mean, there's nothing here other than me talking about this movie that I had never heard of before. Um, but I was just curious if you guys had heard about that because it just looked like so much fun. I have it, but I'm not going to no. look at the trailer. You know, see what I think about it. I like the name. I agree. That could be good. But that um... – that kind of does lead me to a question I wanted to ask a couple of weeks ago. Do you think that, you know, horror filmmakers, you know, that like to stay in the 80s, it's fine. But do you feel like it's kind of jumping the shark now? The fact that these original filmmakers want to make movies set in the 80s? Maybe they should move to a different decade. Like, I kind of feel like, you know, the 80s is going to get kind of tired after a while. Like, you know, all these filmmakers wanting to attack that decade. Well, I don't really think that this is, you know, if, if it's jumping the shark, what, what, what matters the most is if filmmakers are putting out a quality project, project that's worth watching <laughs> and it takes place in the 80s, then that's great. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it's, uh, look at just the, the slasher genre of horror as a standalone. Right. You know, there were countless and it, you know, and, and so many of them entertaining in their own ways, but it got to the point where there were just so many coming out that were sheer and utter garbage that caused that genre of horror to go away for a long time. Uh, if, if filmmakers keep putting out stuff that's set in the 80s and takes place in the 80s and, and they're, they're well done and enjoyable, then I don't think it's a matter of, of anything having jumped the shark. It, maybe, maybe it's heading in that direction. Uh, you know, if a bunch of steamers or stinkers start coming out and we're like, all right, enough, like it's been done, but as long as the quality is there, and, and from what I've seen so far from things coming out based around the 80s, the quality has been there. As long as the quality continues, then I'm all, then I'm, then I'm all good with it. You know, like, that's my time. Like, I came of age, uh, you know, and I grew up in the 1980s. You know, I was born in 1976. So, uh, right. you know, I did all my growing up and saw all these influential movies, you know, through the 80s, especially when I was really getting into movies when I was like 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Like, that was prime time for movie watching so and for life in general you know so when the stuff from the 80s comes out it's so much fun because it's like hey this is like when i was a kid especially when it's stuff in the 80s that has to do with this well i agree um but my point was um we had covered super dark times that was a ghoul's pick uh, a couple months ago and i love that movie i mean aside from the story but also because it took place in the 90s which, like you had said, right. you were born in 76, you grew up in the 80s, so that's familiar to you, and you love that nostalgia factor. I love movies from the 80s itself, that particular decade. I love the 80s as far as horror goes. I didn't grow up in the 80s. I grew up in the 90s. So when I see a horror movie come out that takes place in the 90s, I'm, I'm all for it because I kind of want to see more films based in the 90s. Like you said, yeah, the story's good. You know, so. I mean, look, I turned 14 in 1990, you know. 
Uh, I, you know, had a huge portion of my growing up years in the first half of the 90s also. And, you know, I really, really dug super dark times. I feel that that interview fostered one of our most interesting discussions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of that having to do with content of the film, of course, but, uh, you know, it's 1990s setting as well, because it's all a time and place that we can relate to. And I would certainly uh, be into more explorations of that decade through film. Uh, without question. Um, with me, it's just, again, whether it's the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, whatever it is, it, just, it comes down to the quality of the material as well. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? Uh, absolutely. No, I agree. I think it comes down to exactly what the doc said right there. I mean, you know, do we get a good story? Do we get good performances? I mean, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a lot of factors involved with that besides, you know, just the... Uh, the, the decade itself, you know, I mean, like, look at, uh, you know, what was it? God, the house on the end of the street or whatever it was that, yeah, yeah, that you told me to watch, man, the slow burn film. I can't think of the house the devil built, you know, oh, I, thought, house I of thought that was, yes, I thought that was, yeah, the house of the devil. That's what it is. You know, I thought that was a fantastic movie and, you know, yeah. that, that took place where it took place. So, I mean, I can't, you know, I'm not going to complain about something if it's done right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the the whole thing about it, is that I, I don't want to say the, the 80s has jumped the shark necessarily when it comes to settings or horror films. I just, I wouldn't mind seeing something else, uh, you know, come out that takes place in a different decade, like the 90s, like Super Dark Times, like we had said. Um, I think that's a, a great decade, especially when you think about horror, where it was at, you know, with the floundering slasher films that came out around that time. The music scene, the political climate, there's a lot to talk about uh, in the 90s. And I think that it's fine if you want to set a movie in the 80s, but, you know, it's also good if you want to set it in the 90s as well. I know that's still kind of a recent decade when you think about it, but I still think it's worth Potter for a film. I don't, I, I don't know why people are afraid to touch it. You know, they just feel like they have to set it in the 80s because that was such a golden time for slasher films. This is true. Well, I think it's just also, it's a, not just that it was a golden time for slasher films, but it was a fascinating decade as far as, you know, our country in general. Right. You know, there were a lot of right. strange right. things going on, and, you know, there was a entire just mindset and movement that changed dramatically, as we saw in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, music changed, everything changed. And that was... Uh, <laughs> If, if you could change and I could change, we all could change. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I just recently watched a bunch of Rocky movies, too, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's I'm, a good I'm firmly entrenched in the fucking 80s at the moment. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it's one of those things. I, I, I would like to see other decades explored. I mean, even non horror related. Uh, the Deuce on HBO takes place in, 19, in uh, the 1970s in New York. It's not even horror-based, but I like seeing that decade put to film and having different stories take place during that time. I mean, James Franco plays twin good brothers. Deuce. Well, you'd like this one. I know you'd like this one. It's all about the adult porno scene back in the 70s. Oh, James fuck Franco yeah, man. Twin you know, so check it out on HBO. They have the whole right there. So nothing but uh, hookers and porn and all about the 70s. You get the classic marquees on 42nd Street, New York. Dude. So 
No, I think you'd like it. You know, it's a decade I like. So I love seeing that decade kind of shown. But, uh, you know, love to see other decades rather than just the 80s. I feel like you did expand on it. But well, Speaking of a deuce, man, I fucking went to the (laughs) – there's like this this chain – of restaurants that has uh, like kind of like popped up around here recently, uh, Arugas, mm. I believe it's called. Yeah, and, uh, oh, okay. Well, they 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 popped up here recently. We we went to it for the first time, and it's your typical, you know, yeah, family bar slash restaurant scene, sports bar, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, fine and dandy, but uh, they had one of those uh, one of those hot wing challenges. At the place, which I guess was with a with a ghost pepper, uh, hot wings, and I mean I'll say right off the bat, you know one of the problems that I do have is uh, ghost pepper and my digestive system do not go along very well. Um, I love spicy food, which sucks because you know it's ghost pepper's hot, and you know I personally would love to just eat it. Um, but no, anytime I've ever had anything with ghost pepper sauce on it, it has led to a, a convulsive convulsive bouts of, of diarrhea and, and nastiness. So that being said, of course, you know, I did do this uh, this hot wing challenge. And I passed it, you know, ten wings, five minutes. Um, it's not so it hurt. I've done it. It, it, it was painful. But uh, but I, I powered through it. But I do have to say, the deuce that that came the next day was uh, was was one for the fucking ages, man. There there, there was pain involved that uh, that I've seldom felt on my rectum. That must have set the bowl on fire. It must have just been flames at that point. I don't know about the bowl, but my rim was definitely hurting. It was fucking puckered. But uh, you know, as we close out hard news, what else do you have for us, Dave? Before we get into the movie tonight. Uh, that's what I got. Okay, well, actually, I do want to say before we get into the movie, one thing I do have that I almost forgot about. Uh, Guillermo del Toro was on Twitter earlier today saying that production has officially begun on scary stories to tell in the dark and that they're going to be filming within the next couple of weeks in Toronto. So there's a plot in place about a, a town and a bunch of mysteries that involve the urban legend stories from scary stories to tell in the dark. And he is excited to be behind the director's uh, chair to get this thing made. Mm. So it is happening. Very I'm cool. To it. I, I can't wait to see what they make. <clears throat> Incorporating all those stories into this one town reminded me a lot of Castle Rock in a lot of ways, where it's incorporating all the Stephen King stories, but instead you're going to get all these other legend stories, you know, like the Hook Man and, and Harold and all these other stories. So it's coming. It's just a, little, a couple weeks away. I can't wait. It's going to get a theatrical release. I'm not going to go to DVD. It's going to go right to theaters. So I'm excited. Yeah, very, I mean, I would, cool. that, I would hope that it would be, uh, you know, getting a theatrical release. And yeah, we talked about this a while ago when it was first yeah. talked about this being, a, you know, a project that was going to be coming to light. So yeah, you know, I feel like that's a nice piece of good news. I'll be looking forward to uh, how that. Uh, plays out, you know, the the three book series is still part of my rotation. Uh, I got you know, students, you know, taking copies from my bookshelf, reading that stuff all the time. And, uh, you know, I will be looking forward uh, just to seeing, seeing what they come up with. No, especially with Del Toro behind the lens. I mean, that guy, he's got to strike while the iron's out, like we had talked about at length when he won the Oscars for uh, The Shape of Water. 
You know, so getting that movie off the ground, you know, that's the great time to do it is now. While people are still talking about Guillermo del Toro. You know, so get that movie out. And I think it's going to pack a theater. Hopefully pack a theater. <laughs> we'll see. Still can't believe yeah. a movie about a woman that fucked a fish with the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it happened, you know, but that's also, you know, to the, the art of Del Toro. You know, it's come a long way since uh, the original films that he created. But he never lost sight of his content. So I was kind of glad to see him win, you know, and actually kind of bring light to horror actually is good. You guys, I mean, this is not necessarily a straight horror film, but, you know, it gets you guys into it. It's winning Oscars. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have put it as a horror film at all. Um, but, again, whatever. Vagina. Speaking of fucking fish. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Nice segue. Of course. Master of the segue. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, that, that was a tough one, but you landed it. I think you did. I think you landed it, but now you got to get into it. So, speaking of fucking fish, let's talk about the movie tonight, Piranha, from 2010, directed by Alexandra Aja. Go ahead, Ghoul. Aja. Oh, Piranha, man. It's a remake of a movie from the 70s uh, about a group of carnivorous fish that dine upon some nubile flesh there's there's titties there's there's more titties and then there's uh there's a, a penis at some point and there is a story you know involving this movie somewhere but um but yeah it's just it's, it's piranha <laughs> shit gets eaten man shit gets eaten and it's fun didn't we see this in the theater doc yeah, we did, man. Uh, you know, I, did, right? I thought <laughs> you know, so. Watching before I had it on, and uh, you know, I was asked what it was that I was watching. I was like, "Is Piranha?" You know, it was in 3D in the movie theater, and uh, the ghoul and I took this one in uh, live in living color. Excellent. Well, we will have to uh, dissect the story as we go along because there's a story to this. Uh, so, the brilliant description by the guy uh, by uh, the ghoul. Didn't quite there's sell titties. it. We'll, did, we'll I get men- there. did I mention that there's titties involved? <laughs> yeah. There, there are titties, there's penises, there's Eli Roth in there at some point. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get to all of it. So, uh, Doc, what would you think about Piranha from 2010? You know, I haven't watched it since I saw it in the theater, and I revisited it this week. And I just I just adore this one, man. It's just it's so much fun. It's everything that a quality B movie should be. Uh, and I feel like it was made with like a fun, joyful spirit, and uh, you know this this is one that, that I really adore. So I'll be looking forward to talking about this. One. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't see this movie in the theaters uh, like you guys. I, I regret not seeing it in the theaters in the full 3D. Uh, it was one of the movies that I rented when it came out on DVD. Um, but like the doc had said, it's just a fun movie. It's not taking itself too seriously. You know, it's just there's going to be a lot of jokes. There's going to be a lot of nudity. There's dicks in water. It's just one of those movies where you can't go into it thinking, oh, wow, they could remake Piranha from the 70s, really? Well, yes, they can. Because even the original was just pure camp. You know, it was pure comedy. It was just a lot of cool deaths, and it was just a lot of piranhas in the water. So when the movie came out, I was like, well, you know what? It's time for a good movie like Piranha. 
to be remade and see what they can do. And I thought that Alexandria Aja was a great director to do it because he's a good, solid horror director. But to see him kind of go full-on kind of comedy with the horror was interesting with the characters that are completely one-dimensional. Not the type of movie where you're going to sit there going, oh, man, I hope that character survives. I'm really behind him in his story arc. You no, know, you want to see tits and you want to see death, and you get exactly what you pay for with Piranha. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is one of those films that, you know, when 3D was kind of, like, just blowing up, there were those couple of movies that were really targeting 3D. Um, yeah. I mean, if I would say, if there is the one thing that hurts this movie watching it now is just that there are so many scenes that you just can clearly see were completely made for 3D, and they don't work as well in the regular format. They look a little too animated. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Watching it now on a 2D kind of format, you could see where they were going with the 3D, and I could see wearing glasses in a theater how it would work. Um, That's the same complaint that I had about uh, my buddy Valentine when it came out in 3D, uh, on DVD, rather. In the theater, it was amazing, because it was the first movie to use real 3D, um, as far as not the blue and red lenses, but the actual lenses that we have now. And it worked really well in the theater, but when you watch it at home, you could just tell where the 3D was in there and why it doesn't work as a 2D release. Still a fun movie, but I felt the same way about Piranha. A lot of the Piranha effects and things like that, you could tell where they were going with the 3D. Doc? Yes? And what do you think How about that? How you feel transition? about it? About the 3D? Uh, 3D yeah, from well, 3D you know, to 2D, watching it on a standard definition. Well, yes, of course. You know, any movie, especially, you know, in that time period was one of those uh, time periods, like in the 50s and then again in the 80s, where there was like a little bit of a 3D boom, where they were putting out a bunch of movies in 3D. Uh, that stuff is never, ever going to translate to when you try to watch it on TV. It just... It just doesn't work. Uh, you know, if you're lucky enough to have to seen it in the theater in 3D and you can and remember how fun that was, and then good because you're never going to get that experience again to to watch it at home. Uh, you know, it's just the way it is. It's like I wish I could have seen Friday the 13th Part Three in the movie theater. You know, yeah, watching it, you know, watching that on the small screen, it just it doesn't translate. I did for all of stuff. about fucking ten seconds, man. But you know, granted it's a granted it's it's a garbage movie. It's like like watching Jaws three in three D. It's the same thing. Like you can see all of the parts when it's like, oh well, this clearly was meant for three D in the movie theater. So you're going to have that limitation. And you know, I had that experience with Piranha in the theater, and and it was great. Uh, you know, I I I didn't find myself pulled out of the movie when the three D scenes were happening. You know, I still had my nope. enjoyment uh, this week when I was right. watching it. Uh, but I can see how, to some people, maybe that would be a problem. It's just not something. Mm. And what did you guys think about well, the Richard Dreyfuss cameo at the beginning? Uh, playing Matt Boyd, you know, fishing uh, yeah, in like, so, singing along you know, to Show Me the Way to Go Home. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad the ghoul picked this movie because, you know, I don't know when the next, you know, when the next time I would have had an opportunity to watch. I mean, it's on Netflix. I can watch it whenever, but, you know, it's not something I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to watch Toronto today. Uh, you know, and it, if I stumble upon it on TV, chances are it's already started. And uh, when I was watching this, and I'm glad you asked me this question because I had 
totally and 100% in every way completely forgotten about the Richard Dreyfuss cameo. So when the movie started <laughs> out and I saw him, I was like, oh, shit, that's right. I totally forgot about this. And, yeah, singing the song, the beer that he's drinking is Amity beer. Um, yep. You know, I just thought that that was like, and I know that the character in the movie's name was Matt Boyd, uh, but yeah. still, obviously the character was Matt Hooper, and that, you know, when I think back to all of those countless movies I've seen in my life and, and love the great cameos of film, uh, as I remember this one, this one, you know, truly a good one, especially because Richard Dreyfuss, especially in his older years, he, he takes himself very, very, very seriously as, a, as an actor, as an artist in film. And, uh, you know, to have him come down and, granted, he did negotiate, uh, you know, a high rate of oh, pay for that cameo. Uh, oh, he yeah. did donate all of it to charity. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this, this seems in this day and age, and granted, you know, this is eight years ago already, uh, something that Richard Dreyfus would possibly hold himself up above because, you know, he does consider himself a serious espionage. Which is what makes the cameo even better. You know, the little Jaws references. I was kind of hoping that the beer wasn't going to be Amity beer, but it was actually going to be Narragansett, because that's what uh, Quint drank, you know, on the Orca. So I was like, ah, oh, well, you know, Amity's still good. But it was just that whole little cameo. You know, obviously, this is Matt Hooper, even though he's Matt Boyd. But it was such a great way to open it up, because he's the one that causes the whole problem in the first place by letting his beer go overboard and cracking open that cavern. So... <laughs> Being the first victim and also being the patient zero, what causes everything? I don't think his beer caused the earthquake. Well, that's what they were trying to, at least that's what I took it as. That's what they were trying to show is that that beer bottle falls to the bottom of that crater and it cracks it open. I don't understand how that could possibly happen, but that's how they explained it. No, there was an earthquake, and I mean, there were other lines dropped throughout the movie about pollution, and, you know, they were just just trying to throw in their their little bits and pieces of, like, you know, I guess maybe maybe they did that for the MPAA or whatever, to be like, oh, listen, look, we're making social commentary, too. (laughs) You know, this movie's not just about porn stars dipping their tits in water. Uh, (laughs) When... When they submitted it, uh, was actually, surprisingly, when they submitted this, uh, no cuts were requested. Really? Wow. Very nice. These are pretty strict. Fantastic. <laughs> this is the one you see. But, you know, but the, the one thing I also liked about this movie is the pacing. I never felt at any point that this movie dragged. Like, I never felt like there was too much dialogue, there's too much going on. I want to get right back to the action. It was just very quick cuts to dialogue, and then we're going to go back to the action. We're going to go back to the partying. We're going to go back to investigating what caused the earthquake. Uh, I don't know what you guys thought about that, but it was appreciated. Like, I hate it when movies have these extra scenes that kind of drag down the action. In this movie, I felt like they were just giving you everything. Let's just go. We're on a roller coaster ride. We're going for it. Well, I think the small setting helped that, you know, because, again, like with, you know, they, they really did set this up. Um, I mean, I know I've used the comparison before. But, uh, you know, they set this up almost like a porno in which you constantly had a kill of some sort going on every couple of minutes. You know, you might get a little bit of dialogue. You might get this. You might get that. But then, like, you know, as an example, there's the one scene with the kid doing the flip off of the rocks. 
You know, there was mm-hmm. no story. There was no character. There was just some dude jumping off the rocks, and then he got fucking eaten. You know, so they, they did a good job of at least throwing in money shots every now and again so that, yeah, you had something to keep you, your interest leading up to everything else that's going to go on in the film. Yeah, but that, you know, that's absolutely correct. You know, it's part of what, what works, what makes, you know, it opens with, you know, the fantastic cameo sequence, which, you know, if you you are any kind of film fan, you're going to love and appreciate that, uh, you know, beyond. And that, you know, sets things in motion. And, and, it, and, and those scenes that you're talking about, like that dude jumping off the rock, it just, it keeps the pace going very nicely, you know, because the movie mm-hmm. is very, it's very nice, tight, very nice, tight, like hour and 26 minutes or something like that, or maybe credits rolled at an hour and 23 minutes or something like that. Uh, you know, it's a nice, tight, quick, fun movie. And they really didn't waste any time with, you know, with any kind of meandering, you know, like it moved very brisk. It had a nice pace to it, uh, which I think is something that that a B movie should do. A B movie shouldn't be meandering and wasting its time and pontificating, you know, it should get right to it. And and they did. It was like piranha attack and just enough to be like, oh, man, we know we know in the back of our heads that all these party are on the lake and they're setting the tone one at a time with some attacks here and there, which is we just know that the main force is coming, you know, and I agree with you completely. It really, really made for, for, for part of many reasons why this movie is so enjoyable. And it surprisingly made a lot of sense, too. Um, you know, you have the piranhas at the beginning killing Matt Boyd um, in, that, in that one sequence on the lake, but then they have the other sequence where the divers go down to investigate the underwater caverns, and that's where they come across, you know, millions of these prehistoric piranhas. And they escape because they've had food, and now they have a way to escape. So it wasn't lazy at all. Like they actually kind of did have a great way of explaining why these piranha broke out of that cavern and why they're going right to spring break on Lake Victoria. And I appreciated that because a lot of movies drop the ball when it comes to that. Like, oh well, the piranhas just here. You know, the piranhas are just in the lake, and that's it. No, they actually explained it why they're why they're doing what they're doing. Sure, if you want to take that all as science. You know, I, I just think it's. I mean, no, like, I don't hey, think it's science. I just think it's logical what they did. You know, there's yeah, a deep I mean, water cavern with all the fish eggs. They hatch, and now they're out because they just fed on two divers. And now they're going for spring break. I think it was just another pair of people to put in the way and give them something to do. And, and again, I, I remember that underwater cavern scene being very, very cool in 3D. Because, um, again, like I said, you know, a lot of the shots that, that are going on, you know, there, there's some of them were specifically there just to kind of showcase what they were capable of doing with it. But, um, you know, I mean, of the characters, too, though, I mean, some of the actors that we had here, you know, we got Elizabeth Shue, you know, as a sheriff. You know, they established her fairly early on. We got her son, Jake. Um, you know, Ving Rames is playing like a deputy or some shit. Um, deputy Fallon. You know, and then there's J- and then there's uh, Jake's Jake's love interest, uh, Kelly. So Kelly, you know, who's who's one of those weird chicks, man. You know, like like I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. a yeah. I could never figure out whether or not I thought she was attractive or not. Um, you know, it, it, it was an odd one. She's definitely I've seen her in other things. Yeah. Um. But the one thing I did want to bring up to you, Doc, and also to you, Ghoul, uh, they have the sequence where Deputy Fallon, Ving Rames, and Elizabeth Shrew's character, Sheriff Forrester, go and they find Matt's boat. 
you know, and they find it in the weeds and they're going to go underneath the water and see what they could find. The pop-up sequence of Matt Boyd's body, I thought that was another Jaws callback to when Matt Hooper found the body in that boat in Jaws. And I don't know if you guys caught on that, too. I felt like that was kind of a nice little nod to the original Jaws as well. Sure. There was, you know, there was even a, a, a camera shot of the boat in the darkness as they approached it, which I feel was kind of, even though mm-hmm. it was not a boat that was kind of, like, partly submerged out in, like, the middle of open water, it was, you know, in the weeds there close to the, the shore. But, like, I feel like the when the boat came into focus, uh, that it had an even similar look to when that boat yes. came into focus. In Jaws, and then yes, obviously once Richard Dreyfuss's, uh, you know, body popped up, uh, then yes, absolutely, you know, then I was like, oh, of course, this makes you know total sense. Yeah, what'd you think about that, Google? Oh, I thought it was a great scene, you know, and yeah, there's all kinds of, you know, callbacks to to the original, to Jaws, to I mean, this movie knows exactly what it's doing, you know, I crafted mm-hmm. this perfectly. Um, you know, the characters are modern, which is fantastic, but the pacing right. and, and the idea and like the doc said, you know, the B-movie quality of it is just awesome. It is. Um, and that also is another character in the movie, Jerry O'Connell, <clears throat> that we haven't talked about yet, is Derek, the, uh, <laughs> well, the director of Wild Girls, you know. Let's just do a bunch of coke. Let's party. Like, I loved his character. I couldn't stop laughing the entire time he was on screen. All I wanted to do with his cameraman, Andrew, was get all these great shots. Um, but it was also one of those things where I didn't really care for the Jake character or the crush, Kelly. Like, I felt like it was just a throwaway thing that they needed to have in the movie to have that be his love interest, even though he just wants to see big hits and go out in his boat, and, you know, on spring break. I don't know, I just didn't feel like that Kelly character really needed to be there. But I guess you have to have something, you know, other than what they were doing. No, I mean, he's your teenage go, you know what I mean? He gives you a reason to follow Derek and them. I mean, Derek obviously is uh, based on the Joe Francis guy that did the oh, whole yeah. Girls Gone Wild <laughs> yeah. thing. Um, mm. He's great. You know, I mean, I just, I just, I just really love it. Jer- Jerry O'Connell is just awesome. You know, like I, I picture him as just this dude back in the '90s, just fucking completely covered with trim. You know, just nonstop, like just diving, like Scrooge McDuck of vagina. You know, just diving in this trove of fucking pussy and just doing everything that he's got to do in there. Um, you know, so like you know, I, I think of him and I'm like, oh, it's Trip McNeely, you know, oh, Trip McNeely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, he's, he's pre-med Trip. Yeah. Plus Kelly Brooke, I think her character's name was uh, Danny in the movie. Oh man, I, I I just had such a crush on Kelly Brooke in this movie. You know, just a fantastic look, especially when she just has that interest in Jake. Where you feel like it's not just, hey, you're a young kid, let's jump on the boat. Like, you actually felt like, oh, maybe they're going to do something here. It's a romantic uh, wink there, but no. That's why I said Kelly being there just kind of was like, eh, she's just going to try to be a wild girl. girl <laughs> the cool girl introduced me to why she's a wild, wild girl. Um, okay, that's great. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, let me get my uh, my focus back for a second there. Yeah, no, you know, I thought that uh, obviously 
you had the the crush character. She had a boyfriend. Um, which yeah, I mean that was you right. know, which I, I didn't care. Which for was it, an issue. It, yeah, it made sense later. You know that character. Like it didn't at first. You're like, ah, the guy's just like an '80s type of dick. But it kind of made sense when this character comes back at the end, where I really kind of enjoyed him. But yeah, I mean, we'll get there yeah. still. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't think they ever flesh out the idea that there's ever supposed to be any kind of, like, real tension between them because the characters never meet again. You know, and like that, I think, is one of the faults of the film is just that, you know, Jake and that character, you know, even though he's proven to be a dick, you know, I guess mm-hmm. the, the idea is that Jake wins out overall because he gets on the wild, wild girls' boat. You know, as he's a local and uh, what is it they call him a ship rat or whatever it is. Yeah, um, sand rat. Sand rat. You know, and he's got to uh, show these guys around and you know, basically show them all the hot spots so that they can have their uh, wild, wild girls basically make porn. But that's yeah, the one thing. I, I yeah, go ahead, even though he went and got in in the vehicle with those two dudes before they threw the slushy on him, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I kind of got the sense that was a situation where, you know, yeah, she went off with those guys, but like maybe uh, whatever that was was not some kind of serious uh, boyfriend girlfriend relationship. Um, right. Also, well, they were definitely dating, whether or not it was serious or not. But remember, her whole thing, you know, she's kind of vapid when you really think about it. Because her whole thing is what we hear about when she gets on the phone with them is, oh, yeah, that he, uh, you know, especially when he says he can get backstage passes and he can't. Right. right, right. He has them when he does it. You know, like, I don't know, man. I just think this chick's a lot fucking, a lot more empty. And then our yeah. normal well, you know, you know, love it, interests. It, it, it could be a situation of just what was going on uh, being being funny uh, because, like, for the actors performing the scene. But if you look carefully, uh, after she runs and jumps onto the Jeep with those dudes and the, they, mm-hmm. they throw the slushy on him, uh, again, it might just be like a post-take kind of thing. But if you look very carefully when the Jeep starts to, like, pull away you can see that she's in the Jeep, like, dying laughing for yeah. like the briefest mm-hmm. seconds. I don't know if any of you guys noticed that. I saw um, No, no. She's a bitch. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously there there he is going, oh, well, we're going to go on to the Wild Wild Girls boat. And she's like, fuck yeah, let's go. And mm. then, yes, I agree. Yeah, if you're, I haven't thought about it like this, but then she's like, oh, he always says he can get backstage passes, but he never can, but oh, but now now I have access, so fuck you, I'm, I'm going with this guy. So, yeah, I hadn't even considered that, really, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that to life. Well, you got to remember, too, it's also Derek doing what Derek's doing, which is getting more pussy for the boat. You know, of course. Of course. Oh, yeah, of course. See, uh, take, take, Derek out of the, take Derek's plan out of the equation. Uh, you know, she still was eager to, to not go off with her boyfriend, kind of, and to go on the boat. Because of you know, if you if you're gonna try to hang out with someone because they have backstage passes, it's because you kind of want to be part of that scene and you think it's cool. And here she is, this opportunity to go on this this big boat, yeah. uh, you know, where there's some fame involved. Like obviously, yes, we know what Derek is doing, um, but you know, she was also happy to, to go along and just be like, all right, screw you, boyfriend. This, you can't have that. You can't get access. Now I have access. Well, I like the, the other that character. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's why I said I didn't really like the Kelly character, uh, especially when she gets on the boat and they're giving her champagne, you know, just hang out, let's party, and she's in the inner tube, you know, and she's watching uh, Jake with the other girl, Danny, and she kind of has that jealous look on her face. And then it leads to the shot sequence. She's like, yeah, I guess I'm down. But you have, you know, Jake saying, we don't have to do this. You don't, you know, whatever. It's like, well, obviously she's down. Just go well, with yeah, it. Well, yeah, actually, she actually, she actually didn't say that she was down until Jake started to be like, oh, no, she's not, she's not into it. It wasn't until he started to try and keep her from doing that and put on that kind of protective persona that it wasn't until yeah. then when she was then like, well, oh, yeah, yeah like, I'm right. totally down right. on it. And, and and that might have been a situation where she was trying to, you know, she's into him. She's trying to, like, draw him out of his shell. Or it's also a situation where she's like, ain't no man going to tell me what to do. And, uh, yeah. well, I don't know about go, that, go but it's the whole parenting thing. You know what I mean? Like, you're there not to fucking be a parent. You're there to, to have a good time. It's spring break. Enjoy yourself. You know, as right. it is, you know, the one thing that's completely glossed over but mentioned a number of times, they're both underage. He's 17. Oh, yeah. She's 17. You know, the, the fact that he's plying them with alcohol and boozing them up and he's got them on this boat with these fucking broads <laughs> that are about to have one of the most artistic moments in film history. You know, it's all, oh, with the glass it's all great yeah. stuff. <laughs> It's such a good moment when they have the glass bottom boat sequence where they're both underneath the water and he's like, oh, look at this. Look at these tits, like underneath the water. And then Jake's mom calls. Yeah, so, you know. Totally another the kids, mom. Another thing with that, too, Ghoul, with what you were just saying about about them both being underage and implying them with alcohol and everything. Obviously, uh, Jerry McConnell's playing Joe Francis from, from Girls Gone Wild. Uh, in mm-hmm. interviews, Jerry McConnell has even said, oh, yeah, well, I'm just, I'm playing Joe Francis, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe Francis, Joe Francis uh, threatened all kinds of lawsuits. Um, really? Again, yeah, uh, I don't know if he ever actually went forward with any, but he threatened all kinds of lawsuits, uh, you know, he, partly because of, even though the character's name is Derek, whatever, in interviews and press surrounding the movie, Jerry McConnell said he was playing Joe Francis. Uh, and two, for the if Jerry McConnell is playing Joe Francis and there's the implication of underage kids being plied with alcohol, uh, you know, uh, I mean that's uh, essentially, uh, you know, that's something that truly took place in a lot of the Girls Gone Wild. Uh, going back to the original, the original concept when it was just like girls on the street being approached and offered T-shirts to flash their boobs before it turned into hardcore porn, because um, mm. it did at some point make the, the the left turn into hardcore pornography. But, um, you know, it's just interesting uh, to see that. I don't and, think I've ever seen You know, it's funny. I don't think I've ever seen a Girls Gone Wild video. I haven't. No, I haven't. <laughs> no, I, I saw I, the commercials I, I, back in the day. But, yeah. no, I, no, I remember all those commercials. I never, like, ordered any of that stuff. No. Uh, but I have, I have seen it. And, you know, in the, in the beginning times of it, when it was just getting started, that's, like, straight up. It was, like, girls on the street lifting up their shirts. And like they yeah. would, mm-hmm. they would have to sign obviously some kind of waiver, and they would get a Girls Gone Wild T-shirt. Uh, like that mm-hmm. was what it was. Uh, then obviously it grew into like a, a huge thing where you know there are scenes from that series of you know two girls that are obviously plastered, uh, like being like it tremendously coerced to do stuff inside like a shitty trailer bed uh, that's like on site somewhere in some spring break party town um, towards. 
the part when it got so big and there was so much money where, like, there was an actual, like, Girls Gone Wild Island uh, where it was just, like, straight-up hardcore, uh, you know, porn. So that's kind of the trajectory of that company. And Joe Francis, who has had tons of legal trouble uh, surrounding all of it, uh, you know, was not appreciative about, you know, Jerry McConnell running around saying that he was playing Joe Francis, especially. I think he was most vocal about the fact, saying things like, you know, the implication that I would, you know, ply underage people with alcohol and force them to disrobe is, is asinine. Um, mm-hmm. Well, there was a lot of that uh, surrounding. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna uh, punch up some facts about that and see, see exactly what he tells me about that. But what I do appreciate is that while you have all this partying going on with Derek and the Wild Wild Girls on the boat with, with uh, Jake and Kelly and the two models, Crystal and Danny, you also have that B story uh, of the prehistoric piranha, and you have no names by Adam Scott. Yes, they, they had names, Danny and Crystal, but um. Adam Scott plays Novak, and I love Adam Scott as a comedic actor. He's been in so many good movies. He's a great comedic actor. And him playing this, uh, you know, scientist that wants to explore all these underwater caves, I liked his character. You know, I thought it added that kind of fun element where it's, we're actually going to give you an explanation for what these things are. But it also leads to Christopher Lloyd, of all people, Doc Brown, playing uh, Goodman who has an explanation for everything. It's kind of that information dump that you get in the movie. Of, oh, look at this. Yeah, he, this piranha has been uh, extinct for millions of years, and where did you find it? Like, you know, information dump time. I mean, he's Christopher Lloyd playing Christopher Lloyd. I know the character's name is Goodman, but, I mean, this is, you know, this is Chris Lloyd doing what Chris Lloyd does, which is fantastic in this part. You know, he's kind yeah. of like a... Jeff Goldblum, in which, you know, if it's the right part for him, it works great. If it's the wrong part for him, you're just fucking annoyed. Um, this <laughs> yeah. is one of those cases where it I works. thought he just worked perfectly. So, yeah, but I wasn't too to much of him either. Yeah, yeah no, no, no he, he, I feel like he did play that part uh, like a little bit subdued. I'm not saying that yeah. he should have been full-on crazy Christopher Lloyd, but I would have liked to have seen, like, a little bit more kind of energy and excitement, especially when his character realized the type of fish that they were dealing with. I would have liked to see a little, little bit more, just a little. But I appreciated what he was there for. And this is what we have, uh, like I had said in a lot of these movies, where you have the information dump, where it's like, we're going to take a break out of everything that we're doing. We're going to explain to you what this fish is, what it's capable of, and what we're dealing with. And that's what I kind of really appreciated, is that, yeah, as much fun as we're having, you know, they want to explain these killer fish and what they're capable of, which is going to lead to the Spring Break Lake Victoria Massacre, which is fantastic because you have Eli Roth playing a DJ who calls titties Danny DeVito's. First time I'd ever heard that, and I haven't forgotten it ever since. And I was like, oh, my God, he just called him Danny DeVito's. That's the greatest line I've ever heard in my life. Up on his DJ booth on the lake. Uh, it's definitely a lot of fun once we hit that scene. I mean, again, everything leading up to it is a lot of fun, man. Uh, I do like that, uh, you know, I felt like this is one of those films where they didn't go too crazy with the CGI. I mean, obviously there were a ton of CGI shots and portions of the deaths, but I do like the fact that they mix things up with a lot of practical as well. Um, you know, some of the, uh, especially during the, the big, Orgy style massacre that occurs here, you know, at the end of the What's film is uh, is great. 
because there's the one death I really did like, and it was um, it was the girl on the uh, I don't know what you call it, the parachute, I guess, like where you parachute into Par- the water. Yeah, you know, paragliding. Paragliding. Whatever it is, paragliding. But you have her on there, and she's just having a good time, whooping it up, you know. And Derek that wants is, to get a shot of his tits. That is the ever wonderful pornographic actress known as Gianna Michaels. And uh, yes, I have I uh, enjoyed that. myself plenty of time <laughs> to uh, to Gianna. <laughs> I did not know that, but it's a great sequence because you have uh, you know Jerry O'Connell's character Derek wanted to get a shot of the tits, and he's like, "You're going to miss it. You got to get it." And it's when she goes back into the water and she's partially eaten by the piranha. When she comes back up, it's just her torso is missing. The bottom half of her body is just completely missing. You know, it was a great effect, and it was a great way to show you exactly what these things are capable of, just seeing that complete bottom missing. That was one of my favorite deaths. Yeah, yeah that's also great because it's kind of when, you know, everything with Derek has been fun, frenetic, um... You know, but Derek kind of starts to take a bit of a turn here as well. Um, and, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, we see him start. You know, he's doing blow. The blonde is doing blow, <laughs> yeah. and then you know, yeah. when when he sees that Sand Rat's not getting his shot, he's starting to get all pissy about it. And it's during this sequence that he uh, that I guess Jake sees his two younger siblings, who you know, they of course had to throw kids oh, in there, or, you know, trapped on an yeah. island and. You know, he, he's all about. He has to go get him, and, and Derek's getting all kinds of all kinds of pissy about the fact that he didn't get his shot. He doesn't want to get these kids until he finds out that uh, that Jake's mother is the uh, the sheriff. Yeah, his reaction yeah. to that is is hilarious because <laughs> yeah. his face is his mm-hmm. face is essentially covered in blood, and uh, <laughs> you know, and and, and his his back is turned when he says, "My mom is the sheriff," and like he then he just freezes. And then the, the girl, like, immediately wipes, wipes off her nose, you know, like, just, yeah, just wipes it right off. And then, you know, it goes back to Derek, uh, you know, who then obviously changes his tune. But, yeah, uh, his character definitely uh, has taken a turn. And as I was just, you know, reading up about the, the lawsuits that uh, Joe Francis' legal team had threatened, uh, you know, his character, this way, is certainly uh, like a human piranha, in a way, in, in that yeah. And that comes out in that sequence, but it was so like a fun uh, little part when when he slammed the brakes on when his face was covered in cocaine. <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess we got to see. And that's the thing, uh, you know, the, the whole brother and sister, uh, Lauren Zane. I just I was so annoyed by these characters. I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of kids anyway. So in this movie, I'm like, come on, kill one of them, kill both of them, just do something. Please. One of them had, you know, one of them had to die. Be taboo. Be just, you know, be out there. You're having a good time. You know, you could do anything in this movie. It's not like you haven't killed a kid before in a horror movie. You know, I, I wanted to see it, um, and we'll get there when it happens. I wanted to see it, but uh, the massacre that happens on on the lakefront, it was such a good set piece because it, it happens slowly, kind of like a Jaws attack where all of a sudden one person gets pulled underneath the water, then all of a sudden everybody's getting pulled underneath the water and just blood everywhere. Um, people trying to climb on the DJ stage. Obviously, you know it's not going to work because you see the fucking thing tipping. So you're like, everybody stop leaning on one side of the thing and you'll be fine. Just stand on the stage. But it's in panic mode, so everybody just wants to get out of that water. But it, it, it's just seeing this whole thing, like you had said, it's an orgy of violence, and it works so well. 
for this main set piece towards the third act. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, we have, uh, you know, I don't know. So Obviously, this has got some of my, my favorite kills, you know. Like, if I was to, to point one particular one out, it is absolutely the girl whose head is stuck in uh, the douchebag's boat. The propeller. Yeah. And her yeah. fucking face just gets pulled completely off. And it's just, it's, it's such a quick shot, but it's just so yep. great. And the fact that that was the boyfriend, you know, of Kelly. And that's what I said. That's what I really loved him because he turns into a complete douchebag at the final second, trying to jump in that little ski boat and get away. And all these people trying to climb on at the same time, that girl gets her face ripped off, and then he ends up getting pulled underneath the water as well. Uh, it was such a great set piece. That, um, and the DJ, too, Eli Roth. Mm-hmm. You know, you think he's going to be okay. And he's like, hey, I'm right here. Save me. And all of a sudden, he gets smashed by the boat right in the face. Like, you know, it was such a great little sequence. Another one of my favorite deaths in this whole thing. You know, so many things going on at once. But at the same time, there's that couple kills that they focus on that I really appreciate. Oh, yeah. No, without a doubt. I mean, that was definitely one of the uh, one of the, the more interesting ones as well. Um you know, and again, obviously there was a, you know, an underwater orgy that occurred at some point that was really great. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mentioned there were yeah. there were titties in this movie. Uh, I was quite yeah, was distracted just... by that. There <laughs> was so much. Um, but again, as, seen... as I had said, as I had said at the top, though, like it's it's what makes this so fun is that they just mm-hmm. they went for it, you know, and you know, Aja is notorious for you know blood and gore and violent imagery in his, in his films, oh, yeah. uh, you know, but this one being much different in tone, like, if, if, if there's even a way to, like, with all of the carnage to describe this one as lighter than some of his other work, um, like, they did go for it, they didn't hold back, they went full on for it with the nudity, they went full on for it oh, with yeah. the gore and the blood, and it was relentless, like, that, yeah. that set piece uh, you know, in that kind of dock area with the DJ float and everything. I mean, it was just like nonstop carnage that just kept going on and on and on. And they didn't shy away from showing, you know, blood and guts and, and skin and, and wounds and everything. And then when Jerry, when uh, when Derek, uh, Jerry McConnell's character, gets it, when they pull his body <laughs> up onto the deck and it's just there yeah. and like, the, like the part of the leg is like flopping up and down and he's like kind of stomping his foot almost that's all spreaded uh, and he's just yelling about it that, that they took his penis uh, like and, and the camera just lingers on his whole body from, from head to toe you know for like a good a good 10 seconds or so as he's like talking and bleeding like it, it, they didn't hold back and that's what just it just makes it so enjoyable and so much fun and I don't want to I don't want to get off the, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, we're going to get to that. When, when he dies, his last, his last blood, his last blood uh, spewing final words, you know, that was not in that scene. I was going to get to that in a little bit. But, you know, uh, I talked about the, and I'm not trying to get on this whole tangent, but I talk, we talked recently about the, the Meg movie being PG-13. And what yeah. I had read was one of the biggest disappointments was that it missed the mark when it came part for the beg to go into the area and swim underneath all of the swimmers, which could have been right. like a classic kind of, you know, B-movie sequence like, like there was here, 
Like, I feel like this was done just great. And I haven't seen the Meg to compare it, but I, from what I've read, it's like they, they missed where they could have had a great opportunity. Yeah, Piranha definitely hit the mark, especially like you had talked about Derek's character. And they bring him onto the boat, and it's practical effects. So you can see the one bony leg kicking around, and then you see his dick in the water, and the piranhas just eat it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they eat it, and then they dick? fight over it, and then they regurgitate it. Yeah, it's just fantastic. So funny. And, you know, I, I misremembered. Like, obviously, uh, you know, I said that I had totally forgotten about the Richard Dreyfus cameo. Uh, I obviously, on this other side of the coin, did not at all forget about uh, Jerry McConnell's uh, penis and what happened. What I didn't remember was that it happened, like, in that scene. I, if I were to mm-hmm. talk about this a couple days ago before I watched it and you were to tell me, like, the, the remembrance, I kind of remember that as kind of not like a post-credits uh, sequence, right. but I remember that as something being, like, gone back to, like, later in the movie, maybe when the movie was over or something. Uh, so mm-hmm. it was fun to see it how it was because that didn't match what my memory of, of that sequence was. Well, and like you said about um, Christopher Lloyd earlier playing Goodman, you know, and how he was kind of, you know, I don't want to say underused, but he was very much subdued. I felt the same way about Ving Rhames because I'm such a huge Ving Rhames fan. And to see him in this movie, you know, the scenes that he's in are great. At the same time, I felt like he was underutilized. Then you should revisit. You should you should revisit then his his fine performance in the remake of The Dawn of the Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. That, honestly, Doc, that was the reason why I wanted to see Dawn of the Dead, the remake, in the first place, because I'm such a huge Ving Rhames fan. He is a good character in that movie. I will give him that. He is fantastic in Dawn of the Dead. It's the rest of what happens in that movie is, is bad. But, no, Ving Rhames is great, you know, in that Dawn of the Dead remake. But, and he's good here. Uh, I love it when he gets into the water with the boat propeller, and he's just going to town, and he's fucking piranha, going down to his knees in this water. You know, he's going to do everything that he can to destroy as many of these motherfucking piranhas as he can. Ving Rhames style. Such a great sequence. Yeah, you know, it was some of the things in that sequence that I felt was, um, you know, it didn't take away from the fun, but I thought it was like a little bit on, uh, you know, the, the weaker side, like mm-hmm. them being able to shoot the fish uh, with a shotgun, like right. out of the air or something. And the same thing when he grabbed the, the broke propeller and was like, a, a little, not not all the way hip deep, but was standing. You know, the water was like kind of in between his knees and, and waist. Uh, that he was gonna, you know, come out of that sequence, um, you know, and be able to like fight off fish with a with a boat propeller. Well, that was the problem I had with Novak too, like you had said. Novak is supposed to be this scientist that's exploring these uh, underwater caves and things of that nature. When he gets on the turns into Indiana goes, Jones. Yeah, with the fucking shotgun. All of a sudden, he's like, yeah, bam, bam. I'm killing all these motherfuckers. I'm like, all right. I don't see his character doing that, but that's what they did. I was like, all right, that's fine. But I don't see that character pulling up an Indiana Jones move like he did. On that the fucking with the Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God, I love that <laughs> stuff. But yeah, I didn't see that happening. Um, but we go back to the other boat. And that was the one thing, too, that we glossed over is the fact that the one model of Crystal, when she falls into the water and is killed, the only thing that's left over from her is her breast implants. Floating yeah, in the water. That's, along with, that's <laughs> along with McConnell's cock. Yeah. And you just see the, the fake breast implants in the water. Um, 
and it was, it was, it was funny. But yeah, they have the, the sequence where they get to the boat, uh, Elizabeth Shue's character, uh, Forrester gets to the yacht, you know, whatever it is to save the kids. This is what I wanted to see happen. I wanted to see one of the kids fall in the water and get killed. I wanted to see one of them get eaten. I was like, come on. We're having fun here. You know, it's, it's not serious. Have one of the kids drop in the water. They did it in the blob in 1988 when one of the kids got killed by the blob. You can't do it here. You can't have one of them fall off the rope. You know, I so feel, I, you know, I feel, I, I, I kind of hear what you're saying on that, but I feel that because those kids were the kids of Elizabeth Shue's character, I feel like, yeah. I feel like if it was like, her little daughter and like the cousin or something like that, it would have been more mm-hmm. likely. But being that both mm-hmm. of those little kids were, were her kids, uh, I feel like there was less of a chance that, that that would have played out in that fashion. Well, I agree with you, but like I said, I mean, that's why I wanted to get the ghouls perspective too. I think it would have been great to show one of the kids fall in the water rather than just have Danny fall into the water because her hair's too long and the piranhas kind of drag her down. You know, the kids yeah. are, are fodder. They could die. They could die. Why shouldn't they? You know. I uh, I don't disagree. I uh, would have completely accepted those kids. One of those kids taking it. Yeah, and it would have been fun. Like you know, it's we're not watching a serious film. Like it's not. You know, it's it's you know everybody's up for game in this movie. I feel like anybody could die at a certain point. And if the kid had gotten killed, that would have been like, oh, man, they went there and they killed the kid. No, it's fine. We're having fun. We're still having fun. We're trying to get away. You know, it, it just makes sense. You know, yeah, you know across- I, feel, I feel for the characters involved. And, again, I totally understand uh, where you guys are coming from with that, especially given what this movie is. But I feel, right. again, like I said, uh, I feel that Jake had already, uh, you know, felt guilty enough uh, for sure. having them in that situation that he left them alone. And given mm. that Jake is the brother, Elizabeth Shue is the mother, I feel like with these two kids being her children, his siblings, to have one of them, to have one of them die, uh, you know, especially if right there in front of them, then there's no way to have, like, like an ending that's going to be satisfactory to, to any of the characters in that family. Like, to feel like oh, man, we, you know, we really saved the day or we averted tragedy. Like, it just, it just, I feel like it sets up for a movie like this to have kind of a strange ending. And again, I feel 100% strong that if one of those kids is like a cousin or a friend, then I get it. But being that they were siblings, uh, I'm not so sure that it would have worked. Well, especially because the one girl uh, cut her foot in that bottle. You know, and I felt like, you know, if she's dripping water into that bottle, it's going to be like chump or a shark. They're going to go after her. You know, and it's, it never happened. No, I do get what the doc is saying there with um, with them being the siblings and both of them being Elizabeth Shue's kids. It does kind of put a, a little bit more of a darker twist yeah. on the two characters, which doesn't really fit in with how everything was going with it anyway, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I my my, de- my depraved thoughts would love to see where those kids <laughs> yeah. go, but see, we're thinking yeah. the same way. But the doc makes a great when, point. You know, if it had been when, a, uh, a niece or whatever, yeah, probably have. Wet t-shirt. Wet <laughs> t-shirt. <laughs> but you know, it, it's Fucking the whole point. thing of, of 
he picks up because they have it playing down in the background. When he, dude, I didn't make any notes about it, but I just I, I put it back because I just wanted to see something with Ving's Ving Rhames character when he takes the boat color, and I just left it on while we were talking. When yeah. when Jake picks up after after Terry McConnell dies. Spouting what he The scene when Jake picks up the body, the way he picks up the body, and then the <laughs> camera, cuts, the camera cuts to Elizabeth Shue, like watching him. She has the most amazing face when they cut to her, as and, and then the, the way it looks when he's holding the body, it's it's so funny, so funny. Yeah, it, it's so silly, but the fact that you know he uses that as like the bait for the piranhas. You know, so he could set up, you know, the gas underneath the water and the yacht. You know, there's not enough meat on that body left for these piranhas to really give a fuck about. Like, you know, but in the movie, there is obviously enough time. So we're going to set the explosive. We're going to get going here. We're going to save everybody. But to me, I was like, yeah, how much is left for Jerry McConnell at this point for these piranhas to be so distracted? Look, I have, I have it on right now. And, they're, like, I'm watching his, like, the, the corpse float into the water. Uh, there's, a, there's a decent amount of meat. I don't know if it's. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if it's enough that truly would suck every single one of them fish out of the uh, out of the hull or down the bottom end of the <laughs> yeah. boat where Kelly is. But you know, if if in this movie, if if Jerry McConnell's character is a human piranha and uh, Mr. Goodman talks about how they must have survived through cannibalism and now they're going to eat one of their own, I guess that you know plays into his cannibalism theory about how they survived uh, being cut off from everything. Right. Yeah, that, and Kelly, too. I mean, they gave her way too much time in that boat for her to be on that little kind of cabinet as it's sinking, you know, going down into the water. You know, I'm like, all right, she's trying to be man. dead by now. Like, the piranha should have easily killed her by now. Why is she still alive? Why are we still trying to save her? Like, this is ridiculous at this point. It's like the old school 30s cartoons with the girl tied to the train tracks and the train's coming. And the guy's like, oh, I gotta, I'm going to save you. I'm going to get the knots off. It's like, oh, come on. She should have been dead just now. They can't have her die because Jake still hasn't gotten any trim, man, and he couldn't bang any of the other broads because they were all too old for him. You can't. They, they can only have sex with each other, you know, even though obviously we don't get to see it happen. That chick was in the uh, the latest season of Shameless. Which chick? Uh, Kelly? Yeah. Uh, Kelly Brooks? Yeah, yeah. No, I no, no, no. Definitely... The uh, the the love interest. Oh, uh, yeah, the character Kelly. Yeah, I'm thinking of Kelly Brooke, the actual actress, not Kelly the character. But yeah, um, I don't know. I just I, I felt like you know if she had gone by the wayside and gotten killed, it wouldn't have been a big deal, especially because we didn't get one of the kids to get killed. But you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like you're closing out the film. Let's do it perfect. You know, let's have the you know the the gas go off on the yacht and let's blow these fucking things away. It's like, all right, so you killed some of them. You didn't kill all of them. It's not over. Like, you know, that's why I just I love this ending where they're like, yeah, it's over. Hey, we did it. It's like, uh, you didn't. No, not really. Well, I mean, <laughs> she says, though, when she's talking to Goodman afterwards that, you know, obviously we didn't kill all of them, but, you know, it's a, it's a start. So, but, yeah, also, though, remember, um, the Novak character – didn't go into the cave, so he never saw the amount of eggs and fish yeah, that yeah. were down there. You know, all he knows is what he's seeing up on the top here. Well, that was the other thing, too. 
And I don't think there was a line of dialogue when Sam and the other girl were down in the underwater caves that they had said that there was all these egg sacs. I don't even think they knew what they were. Like, they mm-hmm. were everywhere, but I don't think they realized what they were. But you think that they would if they're, that they're experts in oceanography. Like, they would realize that these are egg sacs. They're not oh. just weird I mean, things on either skin. I mean, I, I think they were more, they seemed to be more like thrill seekers to me, the way they came off. I mean, one of them was actually Dina Mayer, man, from... Uh, That's right. So, from, uh, Starship people, Troopers. Man. Starship Troopers, dude. And Great Saw tits. <laughs> yeah. You don't get the same as Saw 2. But yeah. I, that's what I found out too when I was looking up this movie. I was like, "Oh, it was Dina Meyer." Okay. She had great right. tits. Yeah, she has great tits. She's <laughs> yeah. got like one line of yeah. dialogue, maybe two. I'll be back in one she second. Don't ask me any questions. <laughs> the doc's <laughs> about to go check out those great tits. <laughs> yeah, back two seconds. I'm going to check out Dina Meyer. But you know, like I said, I just felt like they kind of, you know, they were they're going for this rescue. I kind of wanted to see more death after that. Because you don't really go back to the, the beach massacre, obviously. That's ended. You know, the, the whole thing with that. They're not going to show any more of that. But I, I kind of wish either Kelly or one of the kids had been killed. Just to add well, to the I mean, that's, that's the thing, too. I mean, obviously, this is one of those cases in which they were really tight on the time frame for this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like, I don't know. Like, we got to the, to, to them trying to do the rope rescue, and I remember pausing it. To, to go get a to go get a glass of water or something, and seeing right. that there were only like there was only thirteen minutes left in the movie, yeah, and like this is one of those films that I would like to have seen gone on longer, you know, and had a little mm-hmm. bit more fun with this this gore and these fish and everything, um, you know, and sadly, uh, like I like I told you, I went and watched the uh, the sequel. I I had a whole trifecta yesterday, but between uh. <laughs> Between Puppet Master, Piranha, and then Piranha Double D. Um, so, but yeah, the uh, the sequel. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. Well, doesn't Piranha doesn't do it justice. No, it doesn't. It, it, it's not nearly as fun. Uh, I mean, it has its moments. Uh, Piranha Three Double D. Um, it's, it's not as good as this one that we're watching. Um, but it was also one of those. Got Katrina Bowden in it though, man, and she, uh, she that goes a long, long fucking way, man. That chick is no. so hot. Cool. And to me though, too, talking about Katrina Bowden, dude, Siri from yeah. uh, Thirty uh, Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not who you're talking yeah. about. She's in uh, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Oh yeah, yeah. she was great. Yeah, she, she um, she's in Piranha Three Double D. Three Double D. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I never, not, I never thought about seeing that one. She does not get nope. naked, but there are some fantastic fuck scenes with that girl, dude. They are so great. Oh, like when the guy's banging her in the, uh, the room that she's in, and she starts coming out the mouth like you're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. uh, when she's in the bathtub and, you know, the, the piranhas are dropping out of the sink, I mean, out of the, the bathtub nozzle. Well, that was I mean, that it, was Danielle Panabaker. Oh, that? No, it wasn't. No, no, that was her. Yeah, it was. I just watched it last night, dude. No, Danielle Pennebaker was the hero of the movie. She wasn't that. That was a good yeah. She was the one that was in the bathtub, though. It was uh, basically taking the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street scene. I, I I kept thinking that was Katrina Bowden. Though. I mean, I, I I mean, I just watched it too. I mean, it's so weird because I thought that uh, that uh, Danielle Pennebaker was playing the more chaste character. 
of the film. No, um, she was. She, there was nothing dirty about the bathtub scene. She was. It was. It turned out to be a dream sequence anyway. Hmm. Well, I mean, but they do look similar though. I think that's probably where I lost track. I'm like, they they do look similar. Um, but uh, well, I mean, that's that's a whole other movie for another episode. But um, the Ving Rhames character, when he goes down into the water and he's just killing all these fish with the the uh, the motorboat, you don't see him again. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, in this movie is he dead? You know, in the sequel he does make an appearance again, but I kind of wanted to see him come back at the end of the movie, alive, like you know. Legs are completely cut off, but he's still alive, and he's still kicking, because it's fucking big rings. But they never go back to it. And like you were saying, Ghoul, great point as we kind of close out. What the fuck happened to Andrew, the camera guy? I guess he swam to shore, <laughs> and it must have been like a yeah. blink-and-you-miss-it type of scene, because I don't remember it um, at no, all. No, I don't and at all. I, again, I might have been... It might have been one of those where I was laughing from the fucking dick floating around in the water or something like that, but I don't know. I, he's in the sequel, too. He is, but when they hit the, the rock island that the yacht gets stuck on, that you don't see him again after that. So I have no idea what he, happened to him. I mean, ac- according to Wikipedia, he and the other girl fall in the water, and he swims to shore. Well, that's convenient. <laughs> you know, that that character gets to swim the shore and survive, and the other two die. But it's just a weird thing where it's, he's there one second and gone the next. Well, they were too busy eating Jerry O'Connell's dick, you know. <laughs> yeah, distraction. Even though they spit it back out. Um, but yeah, you know, with the whole closing, you think everything's fine, and this is what I really kind of appreciated. You know, they they feel like they destroyed enough of them. But you have Goodman coming back and saying, oh, I just found out something. These, these aren't, you know, fully grown. They're not, they're not adults. They're, they're the babies. And I'm like, okay, this is fucking cool. <laughs> Such they a great way no, to close out a baby. No mature reproduction plans. You, we whatever. have a baby. Go ahead. It's a baby. Oh, yeah, it was so good. We, the baby uh, in the reproductive organs. And you have Novak saying, well, that's weird, but where's, where's the mother? Bam, you get that nice kind of kill with the gigantic-ass piranha taking out Novak. Like, brilliant way to end this movie. Did you get the, uh, the one little after credit scene? What was that? Because I, I don't remember that. See, I, I think I stopped it after the credits. I don't think I watched the after credit sequence. I uh, think it might have just been like a fish or something like that. I, I don't even remember it. Again, I, put it this way. As we're sitting there talking about a baby, I'm starting to mix this movie up with the fucking Puppet Master movie because there is yeah. very little a that happens in that movie that involves a baby. It's, it's pretty fucked up. <laughs> wow. Like I said, you know, thank God for no spoilers. I still want to check out the one that you like. But I thought it was such a great kind of B-movie way to kind of end it, where it's like, we just found the babies. Where is the mom? And all of a sudden it pops out of the water and kills, you know, uh, Novak in one swoop. So you know that it, it's kind of over. I mean, it, it's it's glossed over heavily in part two, like you were saying. They don't really kind of bring yeah, it up I mean, again. They don't even bother bringing in the fucking big ones in part two, you know? Part two nope. takes place at the fucking water park. It gets smaller, if anything. 
Yeah, and they just kind of explain to you that Lake Victoria has been closed after the events of the first one. You know, after everything that happened, they just close it down. Maybe a year later. Yeah, it was a, a huge missed opportunity to not have the actual adult-sized piranhas, you know, in part two. If you're going to tease it in the first one, at least have it in your sequel, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, was, it was a big yeah, missed opportunity. Different, different people on it, you know, completely different cast, different director, the whole nine. Yeah, I mean, you have recurring characters, like you said, but the sheriff, uh, Deputy Fallon comes back, Andrew, the uh, the cameraman, but, you know, Elizabeth Shue's gone, her son, you know, Kelly, the love interest, they're all gone, you know, in, in part two. Um, but is the doc back with us? Is he done, you know, kind of checking out those videos? I've been back. No, I said I was back. I'm here. Okay. Well, what'd you think about that ending, having that kind of surprise to kind of close out the finale? Which that the uh, that the fish were underdeveloped and that the like that big piranha took out uh, Adam Scott. Yeah, the ma- the the mama piranha popping out of thing where he goes, "Where's the yeah, mama?" Uh, and it pops out. You know, a, a movie like this is you know usually ends with uh, you know some kind of teaser that the story is not over, that it's going to continue. Uh, it's not often where a film like this just ends. So uh, you know, it, it it was it was funny and startling. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I have not uh, seen uh, Piranha Double Ds. Uh, I remember really wanting to, and I just never got around to seeing it. And I, I think the ghoul and I discussed it, but didn't get a chance to, to revisit it in the theater together. Uh, so, you know, it's on my never-ending list, and I'm hoping to check it out uh, one day. But, uh, you know, I thought that, that, that yeah, and, and I'm, I'm aware of that as well. Yeah. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, in this type of film, it's par for the course that uh, – you know, the ending is going to be left open for further adventures. Oh, sure. And, and like uh, Jerry O'Connell in this movie, David Koechner plays a similar character, and I fucking love him in Piranha 3 D. So he kept my interest in that movie. Um, definitely a highlight. But uh, so as far as next week goes, uh, Doc, we're going back to you. What do you have for us? All right, so I've been kind of waffling uh, back and forth between a couple of choices. Blue Uh, I've been blue waffling back and forth between a couple of choices. And I feel like just in this last moment, uh, I have made my choice. I don't believe that we have covered this on the show before, but uh, your your five-year post earlier today made me kind of think back to, man, holy shit, what a long list of movies. And it would be such a... uh, it would be such an intrepid task, but I feel like compiling, trying to compile a list of every film would be helpful. Uh, so we start getting into, so we stop and ha- don't have the possibility of getting into repeat territory because I don't even remember, but back when I had chosen the reanimator later on, the ghoul was like, you know, we had done that already. And like, I had no yeah, idea. The monkey picked it. So, yeah. But anyway, um, I don't believe that we have covered this one before. Uh, I want to take us back to 2001 uh, with the late great Bill Paxton and check out uh, his film uh, that he directed and starred in called Frailty. That's a reboot episode. All right, great. Oh, no, we, we, we did that again. We've done that? A while ago. That that was years and years and years ago that we covered. Okay, uh, then no, then there is no reboot episode. Uh, my second choice, okay. which is, that's why I prefaced that, because I wasn't sure if we had done that. If we did that, we're not doing it. No more reboots. No, I, I want to not. Did we cover Frailty? Yes, we did. For when Are Bill Paxton sure? passed away, we covered. Anyway, 
Uh, we're going to 2015, uh, starring Anton Yelchin and directed by Jeremy Saunier. We're going to be checking out something called Green Room. Uh, it is available to watch Ooh. on Prime. Uh, but sure. Green Room is what we will be watching. That's a good pick. Patrick Stewart's in that one, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Yes, Patrick, oh, 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 Patrick Stewart oh, is in this one. Talking about some alt-right movement going on with <laughs> this one. Can't wait. Yeah, the given the time, it's, it's, it's fitting. But, yeah, so, uh, you know, again, I don't, I don't, I don't remember uh, covering Frelty, but I don't want to be doing things that we've already done. Well, so you know what? I, I, I have to go back to you brought that up. And, yeah. Um, I, mean, I, yeah. I do remember covering it at one point, but we can go back yeah. to the archives. I know it will yeah. be a so, tough task to make a list of things we've covered. But uh, anyway, so Green Room 2015 oh, is the choice. Okay, excellent. Uh, so uh, thank you so much, Doc. We'll be talking Green Room next week. Your pick. Looking forward to it. Yes. All right. All right. So, Ghoul, why don't you hit us with a plug before we sign off for tonight? Well, you know, we spoke about boobs today. And boobs are no laughing matter. <laughs> yes, they are. Make sure, They're adorable. ladies, you go out there and get yourself a question. Those titties need to be checked. They need those titties healthy and happy and hard. But in the interim, why don't you go to bonfire.com on our Etsy page and buy yourself some nice jewelry. Or guys, buy your beautiful breasted woman some nice jewelry. we got rings, we've got necklaces, we've got all kinds of shit that go on there. Plus, in a yeah, and I do, I do be- want to interject and say, gentlemen, if you go to Bonfire Bee Designs and purchase some jewelry for your woman, perhaps you will be lucky enough to be able to see those boots. Oh, she, she, might even give you, she might even give you the anal. Um, Ooh. Not good. But in about a month from now, we're going to be at the NJ Horicon um, down in Atlantic City. Uh, I know they recently had a little bit of a of an issue in which I guess the person that got in touch with them saying he was Chiefs Marin's agent was not Chiefs Marin's agent. So that is uh, a no-go. Uh, unfortunately, there are plenty of dicks and assholes out there in this world that like to do stupid shit. Um, but regardless, there are a ton of great guests going there. And, you know, they announced uh, today that they will be also showing Abducted um, on the 23rd. Uh, that is the film that was filmed here at the Gould's house and has Ghoul in it as well. And that is me being fondled in the picture. Just all right. Barely, barely on. Get some. All right. Excellent. All right. So close it out, guys. Touched. Stay scared. Get touched. Look at boobs. And as we close out, we have a minute left. So yes, the doc I did say. Uh, I posted earlier on my personal Facebook page five years ago. The Ghoul and I started Talking Terror as Talking Terror presents on ThrashTalkRadio.com, a website that no longer exists. So don't try to go looking for us on Thrash Talk Radio. It no longer exists. But we are here now on Block Talk Radio in full force every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for all of your horror needs. Uh, I love the fact that we're still going strong. I love the fact that we have all these episodes to talk about, all of the episodes in our archives. 
for you to check out. Uh, we're talking about Green Room next week, but we have all the other episodes for you to check out. And I hope that you're with us for the next five years or one year or two years or whenever we decide that we're not going to do this anymore. But I'm, I'm hoping that there's no stopping these <laughs> Could be next week. Who knows? But I hope there is no end in sight for us uh, here at Talking Terror. And we appreciate you guys every single week supporting us on Facebook, on Instagram, and listening to our episodes and actually giving a shit for what we do. So thank you so much. And thank you, Ghoul. Couldn't do it without you, brother. Of course, man. Have a good night, everybody. Keep America strong, people.